Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast, co-starring 10-year NFL veteran and Super Bowl champion, Will Blackman. And from the end zone, he throws, and it's deflected away, and it's picked off by Will Blackman, the former giant. Tim Dwight watches it hit, bounces, picks it up with the 10, slips a defender, pulls the football, it's up for grabs, it's covered in the end zone by Will Blackman for a Green Bay touchdown! And now, here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. Welcome to another episode of Buecher and Blackman, subsidiary of Buecher and Friends, part of the United Recast Network. I'm Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buecher and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buecher. And you can even hear me on Radio.com as well, on the Scal and Pal show every now and then. All right, he is Will Blackman, NFL vet, Super Bowl champ. You can see him on Sky Sports, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Will Blackman. You can also, what is it, the wine guy? The NFL wine guy? The NFL wine guy, but I have an announcement. You have an announcement. He, Will has an announcement. He, he never tells me these things, so I can't announce it. He has an announcement. Have at it, my friend. Well, I, I already put it out there, but I will be um, hosting Fox Radio on Sundays very, starting November. Very nice. Me so, and Swole Dome. Are you going to be doing that from London or are you going to be back by then? In L.A. I'll be in L.A. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Good to know. Fox Radio, that would be Channel 82 on Sirius XM, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you. Look at hey, that. part of my sniffles, the weather is ridiculous in London. It is freezing cold in the morning. It is hot in the afternoon, and it is freezing cold at night. Okay, there you go. And that's why he has a sniffles, in the, <laughs> and that's where he's, why he's wearing a, a hat and a jacket right now. And you were just telling me about you, uh, you just got back from a pub where you threw darts. You probably drank a couple pints. And you said a couple, and you said a couple, and you said a couple blokes walked in. A couple blokes walked in. About nine, about nine blokes. <laughs> uh, it's good to know that you're assimilating. You're, you're, you're picking up the uh, the vernacular as vernacular, as we yeah. as we would say. All right, there's a couple things, number of things that I want to get to, and the first I wanted to. Uh, utilize your expertise because we have a number of quarterbacks, young quarterbacks 
who are suddenly on the scene. And we see this happen a lot where uh, new flavor, new quarterback, young quarterback, they come in, big splash, whether it's Mitch Trubisky or Baker Mayfield. Those just seem to be the most recent examples. We're going to talk further about, about Baker Mayfield. But we have some really young guys, some really young guys that I don't know that we had even heard about or even knew that we were going to see play this year. Gardner Minshew with the Jags, Kyle Allen with the Panthers, Daniel Jones with the with the Giants. Daniel Jones less so that, that we didn't think we were going to see him. We thought we might. but Yeah, but we knew he was the heir apparent. Right. The, the question I have for you is, is as you watch these guys play, because this, this is always the big shift for me, is when you have a young quarterback come in and defenses don't really have a whole lot of tape on them. They don't know how to exploit their weaknesses, how to defend their strengths. And once they get tape on him, and especially if they have an off season, it's like they, you come back and defenses approach them a completely different way. So what I'm really curious about, if you've been able to, I don't know how much you've been able to watch or where the tape is available to you in the way that you need to see it, like the coach's tape. But as you watch Gardner Minshew and Kyle Allen and the success that they had, are there things about their game that you go, they're good, they're a nice surprise, but you know what? Once teams, once once defenses get a little bit more on them, this is something they're going to try to do. This is where I could see that the the continued success or the growth might be hampered. Because I, I go back to this, and I, I'm going to give you a chance to, to to speak on this. But like guys are drafted where they are by and large for a reason, right? There, there's there's right. A, there's a lot of there's a lot of study that goes into. But sometimes guys are just missed. Guys yeah. are just missed sometimes. True, and especially with quarterbacks. I think co- quarterback more than anything, the ability to uh, uh, to to take in all of the information, process it, and make decisions quickly, is the one element at the NFL speed at the level of the game in which the NFL is played. The speed at which it's played to me is the hardest thing to to forecast or project. You just and that's the difference. You have guys who got all the measurements, they got the measurables, they played in the they might have might have been successful a variety of things. But when the game speeds up at that position, not only do they have the requisite physical ability, but do they have the mental capacity to process the information and consistently make the right decision. And I think that's that's something you don't find out until you just throw the guy out there and you find out whether he can he can sink or swim. Yeah, I mean, when you when Baker, I'm going to I'm going to talk to ba- about Baker real quick. When he was scouted, obviously he had all the whatever you want to call it intangibles in terms of his mindset and how he was a leader, how he I know a lot of coaches love seniors, quarterbacks, you know, that he was a senior, that he transferred schools and, you know, won the Heisman, but he played extremely well. He, you know, threw for, you know, over 4,000. He had a really good completion percentage and touched on it to interception ratio. So, you know, he totally impressed on all levels. When I look at Gardner Minshew, I, I look at the simple fact of, one, who was coaching him? Mike Leach, right? He came from the air raid system where you just sling it. I mean, the dude... In college, he threw 
fit like 50 passes a game. Yeah. Okay. Well, he bounced, he bounced around a lot too. I mean, he was a lot of different places. He was, but when he ended up at Washington State, he threw 50 passes a game, Rick. All right, he had 70, what, 70% completion percentage, Mm -hmm. 4,700 yards passing. He had 38 touchdowns to nine picks. That's pretty impressive. Yep. Yeah, with a 147 rating. Okay. Like 600 passes, only nine picks. Like, that's unbelievable. He was, I think he was second behind Haskins. Uh, in terms of uh, most yards in college last year. Okay. So when I look at that, I, I look at a guy who's able to just sit back, process information, and just sling it. Like at the, at the end of the day, you just play catch. Like it's not, it's not that complicated. You know, you sit back, you drop back, you know where the guys are running, you find the open guy and throw it. Done deal. I feel like that's what Gardner is, is comfortable at doing. He's oh. very, very comfortable in sitting back there and just literally playing catch. Okay, but he was he's he's a sixth round pick. Like clearly I understand that. for all that he did, uh I mean you're giving all the reasons why he should be a success. So why did why was he a sixth round pick? Maybe because he bounced around. You know? Maybe there was some. At the, it's funny because when, when coaches go through this evaluation process, there was just there are some things that I don't like. You know, one coach, one executive said, you know, Josh Rosen rubbed him the wrong way. Right. Like his energy, I just didn't like his energy. I didn't like his, you know, how he was. So that's why I didn't like Josh Rosen. Like that's that's how it is in the evaluation process. You know, it's like when when my my year, 2006, I mean, Mario Williams, Mario Williams would walk into the room and guys would be like, I'm drafting him. <laughs> it's a be- it's a beauty contest. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look, but it, I, they're constantly trying to convince me, and I've seen it where analytics and measurables and all that is is if not taking over, certainly having a greater and greater influence. And so, on one hand, I look at Minshew and I say, okay, well. The statistics, at least the numbers that he threw, like the numbers that you threw out there, that's pretty damn impressive. Uh, he's only right. It's like it's like it's like can he play? You right. know, right? But so, but what you're telling me is there's still a lot of subjectivity that goes into it. Josh Rosen's aura is going to influence whether you are going to to draft him or not. And I wonder how much of that. How much do you think that's just position? You think quarterback that they're they're way more sensitive to how a guy carries himself as opposed to another position, offensive lineman. Like I, I have a hard time believing that an offensive lineman they really care about they care about his personality. <laughs> it's I would think that they care more about the length of his arms than they do. Well, they it, care about the personality because, like, that's that's the guy. That's the guy leading your team. Yeah. So they they're they want to, especially Cleveland. They had, you know, the number one pick. So it's like they have to be right. A lot of teams, you know, had drafted quarterbacks that year in the in the top ten, and they just had to be right. So it has to. It came down to like, okay, does this guy fit what we're looking for right. to help lead our franchise? So personality does come, you know, come into play. 
Yeah, I, I would love to know what the what, what the balance is. And this is I know this was what happens with NBA teams, is that you have scouts and you have people follow these guys. At least it, this happens in the more sus, suspect franchises, where you have the scouts and the personnel people, and they're out there and they're doing their homework and they're putting together together a folder on uh, on various players who they're going to draft, and then they kind of winnow it down to who are the guys that they're most likely to get. And then a GM will go out and they'll, they'll go see a game or they'll watch some tape. And then the GM, in many cases, whatever his feel is for the guy, that's going to end up being the direction that they go. And the problem with that is, is that he's working off of a thinner base of knowledge than the guys who've been following this dude for years. And yet... Whatever feel he gets, whatever game he happens to see, whatever tape or, or element that he latches onto, that ends up being the thing that can win the day. And to me, that's where mistakes are made, where a GM falls in love with a guy because they, they see a particular performance or reminds them of somebody or something, and, and, and they'll often defy all the other information that they have because I like the way this guy... Whatever. Yeah, it's just it's a feeling. That's it's just a feeling, crazy. you know. It's crazy though. It's crazy when you when you think about all of the time and money that's invested and then it comes down and and the and trying to give the guise of like we're really doing this from a scientific approach. And then it comes down to not nah, not so much. You know, sometimes it, it comes down to just a a particular moment. I'm I'm reading I have I apologize I I don't know if you've ever read it. Um, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outlier. Uh, Outliers. Yeah, Outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hadn't I've been meaning to read it and read it and read it. And I just started reading it. And it's fascinating that I am at this time with just what we're talking about. Because it's out for those who haven't read it. I highly recommend it. He's a wonderful writer. Very accessible for rather complicated subjects. And... He basically talks about like how arbitrary success can be, and it's not some of the prevailing things that we think creates success. A lot of it is like the sport that you play, the the time of year in which you were born, and the sport that you play, based on eligibility, you know, arbitrary eligibility uh, markers. So. Um, yeah, that I mean again. So when you look at a garden, is, is it, does that explain why we have and and maybe why now we seem to be having so many guys that are we're not we'd never heard of, never thought they were going to be any good, never thought of them as as NFL quarterbacks, and now we have we have a, we have a host of them that are are being successful. Or do you think there's something else going on with the game that maybe? causing this yeah i think what's i guess expediting these young guys because right back in the day like these guys sat in the bench and they had to sit back and learn and if a, if a starter went down then he brought in another veteran to take over but instead these coaches are comfortable of like throwing in the young guy yeah and i feel like what's happening now is uh what's what's trendy is just the, just the development of the quarterback in general all these kids now have private quarterback coaches when they're young all these kids are 
you know, on seven on seven teams, on travel seven on seven teams, you have the elite 11, you know, that's going on where mm-hmm. all these, the kids who end up, you know, being the top 11 quarterbacks in high school pretty much are going to start their freshman year in college. And now these guys are playing their freshman year and they're done in what, two, three years. Mm-hmm. And then right behind them, when they leave, there's already a guy in place. Like right now, um, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence obviously is, is the guy, you know, was an elite 11 guy. Um, and now once he, once he goes out, they already signed a kid, uh, this kid, this DJ kid, a quarterback from uh, St. John bon, um, uh, Bosco here in California, hmm. who was the number one quarterback in the country. Hmm. So Clemson signed. Same thing. You look at Alabama. They just signed a kid named Bryce Young at, out of modern day, who's the I think the number two quarterback behind the kid DJ. So they already got their successes. Yeah, coming into play. Lined up. And when he, when these two kids walk into campus, guess who's starting? Yeah, those guys. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. You look at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts is the guy, of course, but they have a guy behind him, out of Arizona, who was an elite eleven kid, and so these guys are already trained to a certain extent where it's like they're ready to go. Yeah, it reminds me of like high school. It reminds me of basketball when when kids could come out of high school or when guys are already one and done. You know, you had the circuit, the AAU circuit, or any kind of these summer leagues or what have you, where they got a lot of basketball reps in. Football knowledge, football knowledge year round. Yeah, interesting. I, I know, also, I also wonder, and this kind of blends in with the success of a Lamar Jackson and some of the mobile mobile quarterbacks. I can't help but feel that because you can't hit guys the same, the quarterbacks the same way you could, you just can't. And and you would have a better feel for this, but I, I feel as if defenders can't, they just can't unload on guys now, and quarterbacks know that and it gives them whether it's running it gives you a split second of guys kind of have to size you up and figure out how am I going to take you down and 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 that you know those those little split seconds gives you a little more space and mobility for a quarterback and then he knows that anybody gets close I'm just going to slide and I'm not going to get hurt that that wanted his open right. it up. They know they know they're protected. Yes, and so because you see you see them when they get tackled, they look right at the ref, dude. Yeah. Oh, like, I, the so other day, I mean, uh, Matt Ryan had like a glancing blow to his helmet, and he like point he looks at the referee and he points to his helmet like, like I'm not getting a penalty out of this. It wasn't because he got his belt wrong. Holmes got thrown on the ground. He was like, "Yo," and the ref threw the flag. Yeah, it, it's it's. I can't help but think that that also helps these young quarterbacks, whereas before. The terror of having Aaron Donald being able to smush you if if he got to you was going to I mean, be. Or back then, or back then when Lawrence Taylor would come off the edge. Yeah, yeah. Guys Whoever... were terrible. That's why the left tackle position became famous because Lawrence Taylor was obliterating people. Hmm. That's why I have so much respect for guys like Joe Montana and Dan Marino because they lit it up while they were getting drilled. Yes. Steve yes. Young. All these. We got a. When I watched the. Uh, what was it? The um, America's game with the 94 Niners. And they keep showing that video of Steve Young crawling on the ground just to get up. I mean, grabbing the grass, crawling because he just got smoked. I was there. (laughs) Was it against Detroit? Was it? Well, there was one where he got hit by the Giants. 
in the conference championship. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And the and the Giants ended up going to the Super Bowl, uh, playing the Bills. Ninety. It was ninety. The ninety. Yeah. And and he got he got crushed. And, well, I'm saying this one was Steve Young when he got lit up. Right. Um, yeah, no, but, but, but your point is, yeah, it it was, it was completely different. I can't help but think that that is, that's also aiding and abetting these young quarterbacks as well as allowing the running quarterback, the mobile quarterback to be far more of a threat than, than ever before. And yeah, cause who was it? I think Lamar, one of these quarterbacks, it might have been Lamar where he scrambled and then he went off to the sideline. He was still in bounds. And this defender had a clean shot to blow him up. And the guy with quarterback was still in bounds. And he didn't take it. Yeah. He didn't take it. You no, know? I see guys like they go for the tack. I mean, I, there was there was one the other day. Uh somebody had Mahomes around the ankles. And Mahomes still had the ball. That's and, what it was, yeah. And the the uh, the lineman pushed the defender down. Yes, that's how he ended up on his ankles. Yes, and he's down, right. and he's and he grabs his ankles, and Mahomes goes over, and a flag is thrown. Yeah, and he looked at the ref. He was like, "Dude." And at that point, yeah, I mean, that's what are you going to do as a defender? So that's where I also believe the defenders now. You there's going to be you break their you break their thumbs. That's what you do. <laughs> You put your helmet in the way. <laughs> you, you grab their thumb. That's what you do. Yeah, I, I, it's a tough place, but that to me is why things are the way they are. All right, you brought up Baker Mayfield. I don't know if you've seen the latest. I did see it. Uh, in in the back and forth with Rex Ryan. Yes. Uh, so I'll just leave it because you've seen it. What's what's your, what do you make of that? I mean, Rex said something outlandish about him. So, I mean, I don't have no, I have no issues with Baker saying something back. Basically, Rex said he's overrated as hell. Right. Just like that. He's overrated as hell. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then Baker basically came back and was like, well, there's a reason you don't have any colors right now. <laughs> which was which was pretty good. That's, a pretty good, that's a pretty good smack. This is... Like I don't have any problem. I, I appreciate that Baker is remaining consistent. But they, my thing is, they asked him the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, look, you know, you, he can sit there and say, "Oh, well, he can think what he wants." Say what you want to say. He knows he's not playing well, but he doesn't care. He's still going to say what he wants to say. Right. How much do everything that's going on with? Let me put it this way: for all that we're talking about. Baker and his issues and the Browns and their issues. The Ravens are two and one. The Browns are one and two. The Bengals and the Steelers are both 0 and three. 
do you see the issues that Baker and the Browns have as being uh, an Achilles heel, like a a a a flaw uh, that that they're not going to be able to get around, or do you think that they're one because the division is down that they can make the playoffs, win the division, wild card or whatever? Or is there an inherent flaw with them that the, what we're seeing is a reflection of that? Uh, the only inherent flaw is like, you know, just Freddie Kitchens is inexperienced as a, as a head coach. What about the offensive I, line? The offensive line, yeah, that, that is an issue. But I feel like you can, over, you can overcome it. I mean, look at New England. He lost his starting center. Mm-hmm. They lost two other O-linemen. And they're still figuring out a ways to overcome it and still beat down teams. Not very good teams to this point. I mean, you can only play who's in front of you. I get that. I get that. But in the same way that Lamar Jackson they, had a little okay. bit of a you know a sobering <laughs> experience, we, we do Baker, have to take that Baker, into account. Okay, but they both played the Jets. Baker didn't play well against the Jets. True. Maybe New England did. True, but they still beat the Jets. No, they still they did still beat them. Yes, but in terms of like how. Okay, I all that all that said, I my question. I, Titan, I guess Titans I guess I'm struggling right. The Titans are struggling right now too. So here's the thing: How good do you they think that the Browns? Them, they on Cleveland. How do you think? Where do you where do you put the Browns now? After three weeks, after seeing everything. Where do you put the Browns in the division? Just in terms of who's the best team, second best team, etc. How would you rank them? I think right now they're they're third in division. Behind the Steelers and the Ravens. Yep. Wow. Okay. Why do you put them behind the Steelers? I think the Steelers I feel like they can I think defensively they can they can find ways to kind of overcome what's been going on. It's really it's I mean it's it's tough because they did get five turnovers and still lost to the Niners. Mm-hmm. But right now, because I feel like they're Cleveland's at a crossroads. I this game this weekend versus the uh, Ravens is going to be a huge, huge game for them, just to establish their identity to see who they are. And I spoke about this before. I said. This team on paper looks fantastic. But what how is the culture in the building? Yeah. What's going to happen once they end up losing games right away? Okay, so once they once they lose like game number 3, yeah. It's like what's what's going to happen? I looked at the first game, the one they lost, and they had a gang of penalties, like personal foul penalties too. Like you're going to have a guy kick somebody that goes back to kitchens. So, but to that end, that's what makes me think that this thing isn't salvageable this year. That it's not. And it's, I think it's the still early. All right. It's still but, early. But when we talk about culture, to... when we talk about culture, if you got a good, you and I have talked about it. You talked about it with the with the Jags, all the games that you guys lost, but the culture was good. So you knew it would turn at some point. If the culture is not good in Cleveland, if Freddie doesn't have the respect of that team, it's like I look at the Bengals right now. I have no hope that they're going to turn this around. Not, not even because of the talent. It's because of the effort. 
they they've they've demonstrated in a multitude of ways that they do not respect this coaching staff. How are you going to get these guys to turn it around when it starts there? I don't I have no hope that the Bengals that, that that's going to change for that reason. And I would say the same when it comes to the Browns. If you're not starting with discipline, I don't know that you can insert it or uh, you know, develop it three weeks, four well, weeks I, I into don't the know. season. My thing is, I don't know who on that team can help it because you can you can eventually snap out of it and figure it out. The year we won the Super Bowl with the Giants, we we ended up making the playoffs, being nine and seven. Ninety-seven means that there was a lot of adversity during that season. Hmm. There was at one point where we put our season in jeopardy because we dropped two games. We lost two, and then we finally end up. We beat Dallas uh, to win a division to get in the playoffs, and then we had a major heart-to-heart that that uh, that week before we played Atlanta in the wild card game to to like yo like, like let's figure it out. Even went up and met with the defensive coordinator. Like, hey, let's run these. We told him, let's run these plays. So this is, we feel like we can do these the best. Right. However, my point though is, we had those type of guys on our team that would take ownership and that would truly, you know, Coughlin didn't have to say much. So, do you think those guys are in Cleveland? That's the question. I don't know if they are. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's too many. Like I said, once adversity strikes even more. How many lieutenants are there? Like, who is the person? Because these guys are still relatively young. Jarvis Landry's young. Odell's young. Baker's young. A lot of young guys. Yeah. You know, the only person who has truly seen success in the NFL that I can think of off the top of my head is the safety Morgan Burnett. Because he was on those Packer teams. Yeah. You know, that's all I can think of. So it's 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 going to be interesting, man. It's, you know, for guys, even like, especially when it comes to like discipline stuff. Like being off sides or, you know, personal foul penalties, you know, and then you go into. I mean, I know I'm on the outside end, but I feel like to call plays for for Cleveland should, it should be super basic. It's like okay, you have a running back in, in Nick Chubb who last year averaged five yards a carry. This year he's averaging four, and he's more than capable of running for a thousand yards every year easily. And then obviously you got your two money guys in Odell and and Jarvis. Mm-hmm. People people are up in arms about the fourth and nine call or fourth and eight when they ran a draw. It's like common sense that doesn't make sense. Statistically, it doesn't make sense. From an uh, analytics, it doesn't make sense. It's, you know, and then you get to the red zone. Yeah, you want to keep throwing it, but none of those passes go to Odell or Jarvis. I don't care if he's double covered. That's Odell Beckham. You give him, you give him a chance. At least, like if you go out losing, you went out because you you tried your best player. So yeah. it's just, just overall, overall, it just doesn't make any sense. What do you make of the the the, the fact that they they hammered? Uh, what was it? Sunday night. They hammered the fact that oh no Monday night uh, that uh, the the time at which if Baker got the ball out of his hands. In the first second or two, the success rate was way higher than if he had to hold it. Now, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the offensive line and the pressure, but it's not as if the offensive line was great shakes last year. What's what's the difference in 
Baker's ability to execute under pressure and see things now versus a year ago, when I want to say it was the same thing. Like he'd be in the grasp or he'd be eluding guys and he'd still be able to find something. And now it seems as if uh, he can't. Well, a little bit goes to your point earlier saying, okay, this is year two Baker. Now people have film on Baker. People have film on what Freddie Kitchens likes to run. People have film on what what Baker likes to do. Hmm. Um, Maybe And also maybe this is still – Baker, Odell, and Jarvis all trying to get on the same page. Maybe that's just what it is. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. Um, they didn't. They didn't get many reps this preseason. I know they didn't practice, but not so much in games. Yeah. So maybe this is still them trying to figure because it's early. Like I said, it's, it's still what is it, week four, and he's still trying to figure them out. Yep. I can't. I also can't help but feel when I look at. I just look at the way Patrick Mahomes handled things when he came in. And and this may be the old school part of me, but I I also believe that it goes to the heart of, are you trying to make yourself the best player? Are you trying to take advantage of your, all that comes with being a great player? If that makes, uh, makes sense. Patrick Mahomes purposely was not interested in doing any endorsement stuff. It was all, he turned stuff down left and right. And, I know from seeing commercials shot and all of that, it takes a certain amount of energy. Guys will say, well, we got plenty of downtime. It doesn't affect your training or whatever. No, it may not affect your training. You can put the same amount of training in. But it does take a certain amount of mental uh, attention, energy, takes physical energy when you're doing all these ancillary things, meeting with your people, taking advantage of, of, of business opportunities. Baker hasn't turned down anything. Baker has taken full advantage. And, you know, on one respect, good for, good for him and that you're doing it and it's good for Cleveland and everything. But you can't tell me that Mahomes, where it was like, now, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make myself into a player first and then I'm going to be very selective in what I do. I just, and I'm not comparing the two. I think Mahomes is... Mahomes, I don't want to jump the gun, but man, I I am just blown away by how he he rolls an ankle and he's got he doesn't have his mobility, and it doesn't affect his ability to operate in the pocket as young as he is. I mean, it was just like, dude, you take away one of his big weapons supposedly, and he can still <laughs> throw guys open and do all that he. I can't tell you how impressed I am with what he's done, but I also believe like he's just gone about it the right way and. And Baker hasn't, which or or it's leave it leaves him open for criticism that he's he's experiencing what he's experiencing because of the way he's approached things. Is that fair? No, I understand that because even when I was on the herd with Colin, he you know he wasn't a fan of him shotgunning a beer at a baseball game during training camp. Right. You know, it's like. Right, you're you're all in the spotlight, and I get what he's trying to do. He's like trying to he's changing the culture in Cleveland, which I feel like he already has. Uh, and in Mahomes' case, it's the culture in Kansas City is good, it's yeah. great. Yeah. And then you have a Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid right there with you. You know, with Andy a ton Reed, of experience. You, you give, yeah, you give him Favre, you give him McNabb, whoever, like tons of experience. So just. That, and that's and that's just his style. 
Yeah. You know, in, in terms of what Pat's doing and Baker, he's he's really like right now. Mahomes' mission is to I want to throw for a gazillion yards and win the title. Okay. Kansas City, there, there's no pressure on him from Kansas City. You know, they are who they are. They have a great uh, front office, great coaching staff, even down to, you know, Eric Bieniemy and Greg Lewis on the staff and Steve Spagnola coming in as the defensive coordinator. Like, they, they're good. Hmm. But Cleveland, Baker came in here like, okay, we haven't won a game. Look what's going around here. People don't even love football. I, I'm going to take it upon myself to change this culture. Yeah. Because not yeah. only did we not, not only did we like not win a game, but LeBron left. Yeah, yeah. This city is this city is dark. He's it's, yeah. It's He's, on a different it's on a different level. Yeah. Right. But let me look at like way back, uh, you know, early like mid two thousands, like what two thousand ten or eleven. Okay. With Richard Sherman. Yeah. He he went to Gus Bradley, who was a defense coordinator at the time. It was like Gus. You gotta let me do my thing. You gotta let me talk. You gotta let me talk trash to people, talk trash in the media, and just be myself. He said, because right now nobody is watching us in the Pacific Northwest. And Gus is like, oh, I don't know, man. Like he's like, and Sherman's like, trust me, I'm gonna do my part. That's the key thing, though. He's gonna do his part. Yeah, yeah you gotta back it up. You know what I'm saying? And, and it and it ended up working out. Now Seattle, everyone loves watching Seattle. It's a main staple, you know? Right. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. At least we're organic. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that. Uh, that I forgot. The the iPad is not muted. I think I got everything else that muted. thing? What's that? How do you not silence that thing? Uh, the, the iPad I usually have silenced. I forget what I was. I might have been watching a video, so I had to turn up the sound. So, But that's a signal that we are, that we are done. Because I have Fair to move enough. on to my... To, to my next thing we will but very quickly Kyle Allen over Cam Newton are you with are you with giving Kyle Allen keys or once Cam Newton can play you got to give it back to them. hey uh, right now you, you got to roll with the hot hand okay all right you got you got to be able to throw the ball move it down the field and he's I mean same thing once again Kyle Allen came from what air raid system yep yep back foot corner out touchdown yep well said. All right. That does it for this episode of Buker and Blackman, subsidiary of Buker and Friends. Don't forget to uh, rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want us to do something for you, send us the rating, just a screenshot of the stars that you've given us or lack thereof. And then I, there we go. They just will not leave me alone. Uh, and then send it to at Buker Friends and you'll be eligible to win some prizes. In the next podcast, I'll be joined by Ryan Hollins and we'll continue what I did in the Eastern Conference, uh, picking the most underrated and overrated teams. We will continue that uh, with the Western Conference. All right. As always, for Will and myself, thank you for listening. up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.